Actually, quite a bit of response here regarding... Uh, I was a Marmite fan, but my wife would only buy Vegemite, which she liked. So I converted. Then she went back to Marmite. Uh, we've been divorced eight years now. Um, <laughs> oh, they, were, they were oceans apart. Red, red, they were oceans <laughs> apart, yeah. <laughs> Well Richard Palmer the Toast says oh, Vegemite on toast with sliced tomatoes or apricot jam. Apricot jam. Okay, jam. so that's interesting, isn't it? Um, Marmite's too shiny, uh, says Richard. <laughs> well, yesterday we discussed a proposal, the proposed cuts rather, to the Religious Studies Program at Victoria University, just a part of the proposal to cut up to 260 jobs it's a small program, four staff, but uh, they say they're the, they're the only program in Aotearoa that looks at religion and non-religion within New Zealand. And we got a surprising amount of response to this. So I thought, let's return to it. And with us is Darren. Darren's on the line. Kia ora, Darren. Kia ora, Tato. Hi, Wallace. Oh, it's great to have you on, Darren. You did religious studies back at Massey University in the early 2000s, Darren. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct, yeah. And how was it? Oh, it was fantastic. Um, at, at the time, I was a um, detective based in Mangere in the um, CIB office in, um, in South Auckland. So it, um, for me, it was just a, the, the best cultural competency and aptitude I could gain from my, about my community. It's amazing. So a, relig- a religious studies program really helped inform your work as a detective in Mangere? Absolutely. Um, you know, we had um, got the, uh, the, the Sikh uh, temple, just a, just a stone's throw in, um, in Odahu. We had the Islamic school, El Medina in Mangere, uh, the Refugee Migrancy Centre. All, all our communities um, where religion just played the most important part of our society. This is really interesting to hear, Darren, and it'll be very interesting to hear um, others' responses. But to me, and from what you... Because I never thought of that angle, do you think that closing down these sort of programmes, albeit tiny, they're missing a bit of a trick about maybe human understanding? Absolutely right. And it's um, informed learning that's actually going on in in, in communities and society that, um, you know, if you're working in any sector, but particularly public sector and, and community-facing work, um, it's really a no-brainer. What do you think, Sam? Uh, I think it's a real shame, and I completely agree with everyone who's written in, uh, because re- religion plays such a huge factor in, in global politics. And I, um, the saying that I really like is that political dramas tend to play out over 10 years, religious dramas play out over 300 years. So we, we don't understand these religious dramas enough in New Zealand. And I think it's it's a we need to really safeguard the institutions that can teach uh, the difference and that teach the complex understanding and the, and the role that religion plays in our society. Nikki, stay there, Darren. Yeah, I think that all of these humanities subjects, we're not placing enough value in them. It's, it's like we only care about things that are going to be a way to earn a huge amount of money. I studied English at university, and I think it was a great thing to do. It opened my mind up to all sorts of worlds outside of the world I'd grown up in. Um, I don't know that I would do that now, though. Okay, yeah. I've got to ask you, Darren, you, here you are working as a detective. Why did you decide to do um, religious studies at Massey? What, what, what drove you to it? Well, we um, through our promotional exams, we had um, options to do um, tertiary, tertiary education through through Massey, 
Um, and I did the compulsory um, management papers and some law papers, but then um, the religious studies program just really spoke to me. And, um, you know, particularly working where I worked, um, you know, just reading through the curriculum and through the through the um, graduate profiles of the of the study, it just it, you know it was just um, something that, that that I really had to pursue to, to you know for my own work, but also um, inform myself around the community. Well, it's great to have you on the program, John Kiara. Thanks for being with us. Uh, and with us now, also on the same topic, is uh, Marge uh, Kiara Marge. Oh, kia ora koutou, and it's Mark. Mark, sorry, Mark. Now, <laughs> I, I, I understand that you had quite a career for over two decades in this very subject. Yes, yes, I did. Tell us about that. Well, I worked my way up from uh, to tutoring and... Um, then eventually was lecturing even before I completed my master's and then I eventually got tenure for what it was worth. used to be permanent, but unfortunately um, in the 90s when the whole model of universities began to change, um, the sort of sort of Damocles began dangling over quite a number of us in the arts and I lost a colleague first, he went first, and then um, after a few years, I went, and then eventually the whole program just closed down. Um, what do you think we're, we're missing if we're not teaching these things to young people? Well, what we're missing is a knowledge of, of basically the history of human consciousness. If you have a look at um, all the religions, the major world religions, all have texts and writings that incorporate the thoughts and um in, in elements of history are certainly embedded in there, um, and the, in the wisdom of, of the of the peoples of the world. Sam, yeah, I th- I'm just wondering if you what, what's your thoughts on uh, politics being taught from a political point of view more? Would that be a way that universities perhaps could um, get the funding to be able to keep it so we so we don't have these cuts? Sorry, do you mean religion taught from a political? Point of view. Yeah, like the the politics of religion is just such a such a massive issue around the world, and and as as well as you could either teach it from the relig- the political point of view or philosophical point of view. But I'm just trying to think how an e- how a university can uh, justify funding it, and I guess that's that's the biggest debate at the moment. Well, I do believe there are elements of religion taught within politics, particularly um, Islam, given the, the state of the world today. But religion is more than just politics, obviously, and. And in fact, um, when, we, when we used to have open days and we'd encourage students to want to take the papers, I could list numerous amounts of jobs, such as policemen, um, where having a background in the, the cultural essence and the belief systems of different peoples was um, so valuable for what they were doing, you know, nurses, doctors, mm. etc. Were you, were you interested, as a former lecturer in religious studies, were you interested to hear Darren there as a, you know, former detective, um, seeing real value uh, as, a, as a person uh, in police work, um, you know, applying his religious studies to his work? Oh, very much so. Yes, very much so. In fact, I remember thinking that there should be a whole program through the police force where religion is actually taught. Right. Given our multicultural society. 
And um, I agreed with everything he says. In fact, he's saying things that I would have said. So, yeah. Just taking a hard line, though, uh, Mark, you can see this, 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 these funding cuts. I mean, it's across the sector, and the whole of the tertiary sector is in deep financial trouble. Something's got to go. And some of these smaller, albeit very worthwhile, they just have to be cut for the sake of the wider institution. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've, I actually just read an article by Dr. Colin Anderson about the, um, from the University of Auckland and staff who talks exactly about this thing in terms of the business model um, and, and how it's affected these smaller programs. But I, I, I mean, I don't have an answer. Um, mm. I, I just maybe that the university needs to support the smaller programs with the bigger ones and the more popular ones. Instead of well, perhaps, isolating them. Well, perhaps, perhaps I mean, this is in your in your comment, Mark, that that's written before us. You, you say, "Remember, religion and philosophy were once the foundations of universities." I think that's such an important oh, yes. point. And actually, that that's that's what universities should fundamentally be—to teach us how to think and how to understand people who are different from us. You are you are yeah very 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 true. That is exactly right, and um, they are the fundamental basis. Of, of human knowledge. Nice to have you on the program, Mark. Kia ora. Thanks for um, taking the time for us. Okay. And Benjamin, by the way. And... <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Okay. Well, uh, okay, Mark. Now, uh, on that, um, yeah, a bit of response on this. Actually, we, <laughs> we had James McConey on the other day talking about those uh, pitch invaders. Um, and he said, look, you, 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 it's 10 years, you get me on to talk about these numpties, his words. He goes, that song is trash, Wallace. I'm cancelling the beer. Okay. Oh, you Ve- see, Veg- people Veg- are Veg- cruel. All day. Aren't they cruel? They're cruel to me, aren't they, Nikki? They are. You know, I get this all day, constantly. Now, um, by the way, the panel poll, a V for Vegemite, an M for Marmite, um, it's a shock poll. And that poll is coming up in five minutes' time. It's quite something. Uh, What do you prefer, a V or an M? Stay with us here on the panel. But to this, rural communities and businesses are very worried about the upcoming postage price hike. New Zealand Post announced the postal service company is hiking its postage price from July the 1st. So, extending a standard letter to increase from $1.70 to $2, including GST. That's uh, in three or so weeks' time. Now, with us is CEO of Rural Women NZ, Gabrielle O'Brien. Gabrielle, welcome. Thank you. Kia ora, Wallace. Kia ora. So, 13 associations collectively very concerned about this. For those who aren't rural, the likes of the three of us, how will it affect those, uh, the, the, the rural community and your association? Um, Sure. So there's a couple of things that um, will affect us. One is um, that rural communities currently, you know, like in many parts of New Zealand, we still have a number of rural and remote communities who don't have good connectivity. So even if they are um, connected, uh, they may find they have issues with consistency and reliability. And there are some who are still, we're still working on getting them connected. So 
that sort of digital connectivity is improving and there's been some investment in that. There's more work going on to improve that situation, but we're not quite there yet. And so we have a number of people who rely on the post and who rely on printed material to get information. But, but, so our, our concern is that you know there's a disproportionate impact on those people. Here's the deal, though. The, the decline of mail volumes is quite something. In fact, it's dramatic. You know, 20 years ago, um, delivering 1 billion mail items each year, now about $230 million. It's getting unsustainable. Got to have the increase. Yeah, I mean, that is, that is a, a point. We are decreasing the amount of mail. I think the other point I would make is that what seems to have happened, particularly in the last few years, is that although we've had price increases, we actually haven't had an increase in service. In fact, you know, from our experience, we've had a decrease in service. So, um, you know, maybe more people would use the post if they felt it was a really good, reliable service. I mean, I know as an organisation... You know, we've had the experience where we've sent bulk mail out um, to, you know, over 1,600 people and some of them it's taken four days to get to and some of them it's taken three weeks and that hasn't actually really measured up with where they live. So, you know, I I think those two things go together as well. What do you think, Nikki? Yeah, and I guess I was saying before how I think the world's becoming harder for elderly people. Lots of elderly people just aren't very good digitally and struggle with it and they're still relying on the post. So... Again, that whole segment of populate of the population gets a bit of a raw deal. Do something about it. Um, uh, uh, get hubs. Go to your local library and learn to be digitally literate. You, it gets harder to learn as you get older, though. Gabrielle? Mm. The other point I'd make about that, you know, there's a lot of older people who are amazing um, digitally, but one of the challenges is there is a lot of fear as well um, in terms of vulnerability and getting scammed and things like that. So. Yeah. That education piece is really important. But also if you live somewhere where you don't have that reliable service and it is a bit tricky to keep online, so you might have to do a few extra things, that's almost another disincentive. Um, I had a look at the stats. So there's around, so at 2018, the rural population, 17% of the rural population were over 65. So there you've got two potential kind of cross-sections of disadvantage. You know, you live rurally, you might not have good connection, you're elderly, it might take that little bit more to to have you um, be able to manage things online. What do you think, Sam? Yeah, I I absolutely agree with you, Gabrielle. And firstly, just thank you for what you do. Rural Women is an amazing organisation. I used to work with uh, a lot of different different times. Um, So I think it's just worth fighting. And it's so important. The impact this has on uh, social isolation and loneliness is huge. Uh, So we've got to keep that connection to rural communities. And it's got to be, we can't sort of um, increase inequality by making it it too expensive. So I think it's well worth fighting and uh, well worth to stay on that uh, journey. So well done. Thanks, Sam. Couldn't have scripted that better myself. Yeah. So someone says, I can't believe we still have mail. Email is fine. Just coming back to that, don't people use email in rural communities? They do, but I can tell you that um, we have... So two years ago, I know we had 
at least 500 people who couldn't receive emails. That's now decreased. That's down down to 200 or 300 people. And we're only a small microcosm. So, you know, I think that um, a lot of New Zealand thinks that we all have that access and that it's all faultless and it's all easy. And the reality is that for lots of people it still isn't. And, I'm, you know, it is improving. We are getting there. So maybe this conversation will be different in another five mm. years. Um, but at the moment it feels like this is this has been taken Fair away enough. when there are still people who rely on it. All right. Kia ora, Gabrielle. Thank you for your time. That's the sure. CEO of Rural Women NZ, Gabrielle uh, O'Brien there. Oh, the time, the time to um, make the announcement. We've had a snap panel poll. Um, mm. A huge thank you to my wonderful producer who has been just sweating it out over what's probably many, many, many hundreds of texts uh, on this, a V or an M. Um, here's a couple... One or in our house, I am Marmite. My husband is Vegemite. I keep them on opposite sides of the pantry and never, ever touch the affected knife. Um, so <laughs> here it is. Are you ready for this poll? It's a shock poll on the panel this afternoon. Oh, I can't believe it. Six, it 60% of you prefer Vegemite. Yay! Forty <laughs> percent of you prefer Marmite. I thought <laughs> I thought it would have been the other way round. I'm stunned. I was quietly confident about Vegemite. And two people prefer Primite. What is Primite? Oh, Who knows? <laughs> we'll find out. Hey, Wallace. Yeah. Uh, best recipe: you put Marmite on toast, followed by avocado, then tomato with no butter. It is just amazing. You can't have toast without butter. No, not to be... We'll get protected to try that, Sam, and we'll, we'll work out whether it's good or not. But finally, we went through such a massive lifestyle change during lockdowns and COVID restrictions. Working from home, cars off the motorways, what's stuck and what has simply bounced back to normal. New research is out by J.C. Decoe. I hope I pronounced that right. With us is Senior Strategist and Insight Specialist J.C. Decoe, Victoria Parsons. Victoria, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It is, and that's correct, J.C. Decoe. Oh, thank you. And while it's the theme of the day, Vegemite or Marmite for you? Oh, my gosh, definitely um, Marmite. Okay. My daughter's in the car and she's Vegemite, so we can go 41%. (laughs) this has been talked about a fair bit, but it's fairly new research. And coming in at the tail end of the pandemic, I thought an update on this because there have been some real societal shifts around this. According to the survey, what are they? Well, I guess, you know, the, the fact is that there actually hasn't been societal shifts before we, you know, started to do this research. The reason we did this research was because I think there was that view that there was going to be this huge shift and that we were going to be seeing this new normal, that people would never return to work, that they were enjoying working in tracksuits and they were avoiding commutes. So JC Co. we are an outdoor um, advertising company, so we have billboards um, on the roadside and in airports. And so obviously for us, our business relies on people being kind of away from their homes and in their cars, you know, as of the radio business. And so what we could see on the roads and what we could see in the offices was that the cities were back and they were starting, you know, they were definitely thriving. And so we wanted to do this research to really kind of validate what we saw and then be able to share that with our clients. That's, I guess that's no surprise in a way, Nikki. In fact, I'm quite surprised how much it's bounced back. Are you? 
But has there been a shift to more flexibility? Because just anecdotally, the people I know are perhaps doing three or four days in the office or two days. Lots of people haven't gone back five days. Yes, absolutely. And that's what we found is, you know, before the pandemic, 16% of people worked from home. So that's a statistics New Zealand stat. Um, In our survey, we surveyed um, three times. We looked at last year, August, November, and then April this year. And we asked people about their habits. And what we found through this JCDCO survey was that only 10% of the people who could return to work hadn't in any capacity. But you're right. What we saw was that it wasn't that people weren't going to work as such or their place of work, but the flexibility wasn't around, you know, days in the city as such. It was more about when they were going. They might be going in earlier. They might be coming in later. What we see from our um, tracking is that, you know, the commute's longer in the morning and actually the... um, you know, the most impressions that we see on our outbound sites are actually between four and five. So it's about mobility changing. The patterns of mobility are different. Between four and five is the... Uh, yeah, no. uh, all right. Okay, Sam. Yeah, Victoria, do, do, do you have any assumptions or insights from the research on it? Does, if people are going home between three and four or four and five when the mm. peak is, does that mean people are doing an hour's work at home more or just working at different times? I know that's what I do. Just interested in your perspective. Yeah, absolutely, and that's what you see. People are leaving at two or three or four, and they, you know, they might be going to the gym, and then they're hopping back online. There's now that trust that people can work in strange hours. You know, teams meetings are very effective. They might not be the most, um, you know, engaging way to meet, but it can be done. So I think that's what we're seeing is we're seeing more flexibility, and that you know, if there is a silver lining of the pandemic, that you know that trust and that flexibility is is an option. I think it used to be a bit that you know. If you had to leave early, you had to make a reason to leave, whereas now people are you know, getting up at 2 o'clock and saying, you know what, I'm going to the gym and I'll be back online in two hours. So, yes, um, mm-hmm. that's the thing. People aren't doing less work or more work or kind of less travel. They're just doing it in different ways and in different mm. patterns. Nonetheless, Nikki, you raised it up. Uh, you, you brought it up, haven't I mean, pre-having pre or experienced a pandemic, there was always talk, uh, particularly in the listener uh, of what you work, of heightened flexibility in working hours. We talk about it in interviews on Sunday morning years ago. What would it look like if we had a society which was more flexible around work? Along came this pandemic, and in a way, many of us, those who are able to, there is more flexibility, do you not think? Yeah, but a lot of jobs, you can't be flexible. If your surgeon yeah, tells you he's working from home and can you pop around to his place to have your you know, war removed... <laughs> So it's, it's, it's only a section of the right. workforce. And the other thing I would say is, because I do work from home, it can get really lonely. You know, I have days when it's just yeah. me and the dog for hours and hours and hours. Um, so I do know a lot of people that still want that office environment. They want to be able to spend at least some of their time there. They find being at home the whole time isolating and a bit boring. Good on you. Very good. And that's what um, Jason Deco's research also looked at with kind of different... Um, you know, millennials versus older people and, you know, people in shared homes, for example, during the pandemic definitely struggled with working together. They didn't have a quiet place to work. They didn't have an office. So, you know, people are different and some people enjoy that social um, activity. Very good. Thank you, Victoria. Have a good weekend. Kia ora. Um, That's all all about the new research about about working from home, changing habits there. I studied religious studies at Vic Uni, says someone. I looked at individual religions but focused on the psychology of religion. And now I'm a market researcher in a tech company. And my degree was really important 
for enabling me to do that. How about that? Yeah. Oh, the wonderful <laughs> tones of Richard Marks for all of us. Sam Johnson, Nikki Pellegrino, <laughs> Kyoto, my wonderful producer Ayana, thank you for the last fortnight. I'm Wallace Chapman. I am back Monday, 3.45. Stay with Checkpoint. Lisa Owen.